0: moment you've
1: all been waiting for, it's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast.
2: It's Friday, February 16th, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 334 and 335. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. They'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social.
3: What's up, everybody? And welcome to the first of our two big Friday editions of the show today. I'm Roan, flying solo today. We've got a great slate of guests coming in here. Congressman Andy Harris and Josh Bricchino will both be joining us. Former acting ICE director from the Trump administration, Tom Holman, will be here. We'll get a little commentary on the Fannie Willis trial with our great friend, supply chain expert Jim Knowles. Former Deputy Assistant to President Trump, Theo Wold, to be joining us as well. And we'll do a little candidate spotlight out in the great state of Nebraska with Dan Fry for the first time. Lots of breaking news, high drama in Fulton County as Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade testify in whether or not they lied when putting together the RICO case against Donald Trump. Speaking of which, his legal battles rage on while Essences of Spygate returns. We'll elaborate on that a little bit. Is Russia beating us in Star Wars or is it just another ploy to fund Ukraine? We'll analyze. And Donald Trump held a commit to vote rally down in South Carolina this week and we've got all the highlights. But before we jump into any of our interviews, let's take it over to the Peach State and change the way you consume your news. Okay, this is not Nam, This is bowling. There are rules.
0: <laughs> Today, Jr. America.
3: like
0: Four. Bestest. So
3: stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Stake for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's going to be with us a little bit later in the show today. Big Friday edition of the show, first of two. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. getting Anything started with us today, we do have a special guest commentator, which I'm very excited about because he's one of our great friends, supply chain expert, columnist. Mr. Jim Nels, welcome back to the program.
4: Hey, thanks a lot for having me back, Rome.
3: Always a pleasure. This guy's a TV personality as well. I don't want to forget that, as he's always appearing on OAN, amongst other channels. And uh, Jim, you've been busy lately. Probably not as busy as Fannie Willis and Friends, which is what we're going to be talking about to kick off the show today. Always great to have you in here. Why don't you uh, let our listenership know a little update with you?
4: Hey, yeah, no one's as busy as Big Fannie, and I'm excited to talk about her. But uh, No, things have continued to go well. Um, I'll be on OAN tonight, Tipping Point at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, doing my weekly rant of Everything is Stupid, where you'll find out my stupid person of the week and find out why Joe Biden had to change his diapers once again this week. Mm. And next week, you'll be seeing my latest uh, economics article, talking about how the PPI and the CPI and consumer spending are pointing towards
3: stagflation it's coming you know i I keep seeing like every other day there's like oh and this european country i saw it was the uk this morning announces that they've entered a recession and it just seems like for the american public there's no hope in sight in regards to the prices coming down anywhere and for regardless of how you know awesome joe biden and kjp and friends tell you how it is it's 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 a pretty bleak sight you have to admit jim
4: It's a pretty bleak site, but don't worry. Barbara Lee, who's running for Senate in California, has decided that the way to solve that is a $50 an hour minimum wage, which means more
3: kiosks and less workers. Sounds fantastic. Much like it was yesterday when I was heavily entertained with the testimonies that were given by Nathan Wade, the prosecutor who is doing Donald Trump's RICO case down in Fulton County, Georgia, and the district attorney there who made a less than dramatic appearance in the courtroom before giving some, I don't even know if you want to call it testimony, but Fannie Willis, it was ugly. It was telling. And I guess you could pretty much come to the conclusion, Jim, that both of these people are complete idiots. Um, We've heard from the lawyer today representing Fannie Willis. He was talking about Syrian beheadings. And then Fannie Willis's dad who said, Groups of people surrounded her homes and chanted the N-word after she was sworn in as the district attorney. So we can all tell how great this has been going for them. We're going to dive into some of yesterday's more highlighted testimony. But as you saw this kind of breakdown in real time, Jim, what did you think?
4: I actually thought I had the wrong TV channel on. I was watching Judge Judy or Paternity Court. It was insane how stupid these people are. I mean, think about the scheme that they came up with. I'm going to hire my lover to be a special prosecutor, pay him with taxpayer dollars, and then make him take me on vacations with the taxpayer's money. It's amazing. I love how they did this. And then it's like, well, we got to come up with a reason why we don't have any, any receipts to show anything. Oh, just tell them I paid you back in cash. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. I mean, it, it, it sounded like my children when they were 10 and 8 trying to come up with some sort of scheme to get out of trouble for having broken the TV.
3: I tell you what, there are probably some people that work at the IRS who are very interested in that testimony from yesterday. It's going to be interesting to see how this all hashes out. We're going to get started with some clips from the courtroom. This one was done over Zoom, and this is Fannie Willis's self-proclaimed bestie telling some, well, telling details about the relationship that she had with Nathan Wade. And when it started, let's check it out.
5: Do you all share personal information regularly? Yes. And... um did you even come and work with her at the DA's office? Yes. And um, when she needed a place to stay, um, did you let her stay at your apartment? Your, um, yes. It was a condo, right? Condo, yes. Okay. Do you remember approximately when she moved into your condo? Um, it was April of 2021. Okay, great. And. Um, you know that Ms. Willis and Ms. Wade met at a conference in October of 2019?
6: I'm going to object to that, Your Honor, without a foundation for how this witness would know that. If Ms. Merchant can establish she has personal information of that, then um, certainly that's something the witness oh, can testify to. Oh, oh, oh. But if it's... she it, Miss and...
7: Ms. Cross. All right, Ms. Uh, Merchant, if you could lay the foundation.
5: Do you have information that... Miss Willis and Mr. Wade met in October of 2019. I'm going to renew
6: my objection, Your Honor. Information is not sourced to personal information. If the question can be rephrased, then
5: that may address my concern. So, so Judge, I, let me, I just want to make sure that I understand. So, they've objected to me calling Willis and Wade. It's just,
7: it's just a matter of foundation. If you can just rephrase.
5: Do you have knowledge of when Willis and Wade met? I'm going to object again. Personal
2: knowledge. Overruled.
5: Thank you. Oh. Do you have personal knowledge of when Willis and Wade met? Yes. She told me that they met at a conference. I don't know what...
6: Okay. I'm going to renew my objection, Your Honor. Clearly, this is not first-hand information from this um, witness. It's
5: hearsay that was... Uh... But
7: you said she told me.
5: Yes, it's it's statement against interest,
3: Judge. Ms. Willis- just, just pause. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, okay. Ms. Yes. Cross.
6: The representation of the witness, the testimony of the witness was that Ms... Willis, District Attorney Willis, had a conversation with her. There is no statement against interest. District Attorney Willis is not a, a party opponent in this case. The information that the witnesses testified to came from Ms. Willis, and there's uh, we have a hearsay objection
3: to that. So you guys could only begin to delve into just how awesome this was. And it was a nightmare from the beginning. You know, the, the woman who's representing uh, Fannie Willis right now, Anna Cross, she is a big-time anti-Trumper. She's also a big-time Lincoln Project donor. And, you know, when w- when you look at how... It was almost like revisiting, Jim, you know, the Bill Clinton depositions where he was trying to define what sexual relations is. And every single time the, you know, people who were trying to investigate Fannie Willis and, and her boyfriend kind of opened up a can of worms based off of physical receipts, verbal receipts, instances where they were in the same places, et cetera. They were like, tell me what the meaning of relationship means. What do you mean by personal? And it got down to the point, of, you know, and I don't even know if I have the audio. It's like, literally, did you bang Fanny Willis? Did you have sexual intercourse with her? That's what I'm trying And it's like, wow, it was, it was like taking back to kindergarten for court.
4: It was kindergarten court. Maybe we should start calling it that. But it always amazes me, right? When you, when you see real actual trials, how bad the attorneys are on mostly on both sides, but usually it's for the defendant because they get these these attorneys that do it because they want to get they want to become famous. They want to represent somebody famous and they have literally no idea what they're doing. It's
3: wild to weigh this watch down. You know, shortly after that Zoom call, they had a brief five to 10 minute recess. And then the first I guess defendant it's not a criminal trial yet they're just uh, you know probing improprieties and, and false statements that may have been made but Fannie Willis's boyfriend Nathan Wade came into the courtroom got put under oath and and began his deposition which included the there there about his relationship with Fannie Willis let's hear it um
5: well first of all do you recognize the affidavit
3: I do okay
5: did you sign the affidavit under oath
3: I
4: did.
5: And you gave this affidavit specifically to refute the allegations that I had raised.
8: Yes, ma'am.
5: Nobody forced you to sign this? No, ma'am. You chose to sign it? I did. And you signed it on purpose to to admit into court to refute allegations? I did. Um, You signed it specifically to prove that you were not in a relationship with Willis prior to November 2021, correct? Correct. And you were a lawyer when you signed it? I was. And you're still a lawyer today, correct? I am. When were you barred?
6: 1999.
5: Okay. And um, you believe that your relationship with Miss Willis is subject to attorney-client privilege, correct? I'm going to object to
8: that, Your
6: Honor. I don't think that's actually correct. I don't think that's a relevant question, and I don't think it's appropriate to question this witness about the scope of his attorney-client privilege um, he's got an attorney who can speak for him for that, but questioning
0: the
7: witness, I think, is inappropriate. All right, so a lot to unpack there. Uh, the question is simply that: Does he believe there's a relationship that exists in the terms of attorney-client privilege between him and Miss Willis? Was that a question?
5: It was. I asked okay. if he believed his relationship with Miss Willis is subject to attorney-client privilege.
7: Okay, I don't see why yes or no would be barred. I, I'm.
6: I'm. Maybe I'm not. Mis- maybe I'm not understanding the question. If,
8: if the question is, does Mr. Wade and
5: all right, Mr. we're Tony going to Willis pull back from this right
9: Trump now. You see on, system, on the right hand of the screen, right, former I'm President I'm Donald Trump, Trump talking. Going.
3: And we'll get to Donald Trump's statement that he gave outside of a Manhattan courthouse yesterday in regards to his, I guess, prelims in the. Stormy Daniels they're calling it hush money trial but you know the way that the defense tried to interject every single time they asked a question and it's like she asked him you signed the affidavit willfully to refute what the allegations are against you and he agreed to all that and she's like okay now tell me about the relationship between you and and, and District Attorney Fannie Willis to where, you know, the defense lawyer would be like, oh, I object, you know, now now we're talking about things that are circumstance here. Like, you know, if, if you want to ask that question, you have to go through his attorney, who's going to be able to talk to her spokeswoman. And it was just like, what the hell are we even doing here, Jim?
4: Dodge and delay. It's all dodge and delay. And the, the more complicated you can try to make something like this, the, the fewer and fewer people who are able to understand it. But, you know, the, the judge gave them a lot of leeway, but I'll give him some credit. He, he did kind of sort through the, and separated the wheat from the chaff and, and pretty much allow the, the attorneys for the defendant, not for Willis, but for the Trump defendant to get the questions in that she wanted to get in. And I think it was pretty devastating. And, you know, it just goes to show that Nathan Wade is not exactly a mental giant. If you listen to some of his testimony and you can understand now why that guy actually in one of his billings, billed for 24 hours in a single day, apparently because he believed that there were 24 hours in a single day.
3: Well, I'm not going to argue with him on that one, but the way the bill- billing goes <laughs> in forms of legalities, I think he might have been a little out of bounds. No, you're, you're completely correct. And, and, and there was probably things I'm only assuming here that, you know, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade and the defense apparatus set up around them on how they were gonna try and, you know, direct this narrative, they probably agreed on a couple of things, but it seemed like almost like a goldfish, the first time he was asked about anything to do with money or payments or receipts, he broke down. Let's check this one out. All
5: oh, I needed. Um you said in the affidavit that you roughly shared travel though, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So this roughly sharing travel, you're saying she reimbursed you? She did. And where did you deposit the money she reimbursed you? I
4: oh, it was cash. She didn't, she didn't give me any checks.
5: So she paid you cash for her share of all these vacations?
0: Mr. Schaefer, you'll step out if you do that again. Yes, ma'am. Okay.
5: And so all of the vacations that she took, she paid you cash for? Yes, ma'am. And you purchased all of these vacations on your business credit card, correct?
3: Yes, ma'am.
5: And you included those in deductions on your taxes, correct? No, ma'am. No, you did not.
3: So, yeah, that, that's exactly what they didn't want to happen. And that kind of opened up the Pandora's box to where they would go in the questioning of Fannie Willis. And, and you know, after lunch, when they reconvened, right before Nathan Wade was wrapping up what he was going to be asked about, and, and almost like you said, Jim, some B-rated TV show, she busts into the courtroom, apparently, like, out of breath. You could see, like, her chest was moving like she had been running. Her hair was messed up. Her American flag pin was on sideways. Her dress was on backwards. And I think that was the best part of yesterday, him locking up for 30 seconds when she asked if they had ever spent time in a cabin together, and he just sat there. I've seen all the memes... From like people producing the bubble, and then you could just insert whatever in there. They had like pictures of Fanny Willis twerking, that ugly picture of her feet from the red carpet. They had the "Hello, darkness, my old friend" when he's just sitting there looking out into space, not answering the question. And, and you know, it, it it just looked like it was completely staged. The way she was going to come in now and be like, "Okay, enough with the questioning him. You, if if I'm who you want, here I am." And for as much as she kind of tried to set up the moment it didn't really go down that way. Don't you think?
4: I agree with you hundred percent. And Ron, I got to ask you one very important question. Why was the dress on backwards? America needs to know. Was it because they got a little something on the side during lunch or was it because she thought it was a fashion statement?
3: I mean, was she sitting in her office naked or was she wearing like workout clothes and decided like, now's the time to go give my deposition. I'm just going to throw this dress on. And she like put it on over her head, not realizing it was on backwards.
4: I have no idea. But the, the hilarity of that, you couldn't make it up, right? You, you could not have written a script, a Saturday Night Live script, if you will, where they say, and when she comes in for afternoon testimony, her dress will be on backwards. Yeah. No one would have bought into it. And yet there it was for everyone to see.
3: It, it, it was wild uh, just to see how this kind of went down. And, you know, we're going to get into Fannie Willis' uh, testimony in just a sec, uh, but before we do, guys, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed to the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Hit that subscribe or plus follow button there. And then on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram is where we have accounts. Find them, follow them, hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything that's going on down here on Steak for Breakfast. So after a dramatic entrance... We were going to be subjected to kind of a, I don't know what you want to call it. She was very grouchy. She was very defensive. And she didn't like the way that this was, like, shaken out in her opinion. Uh, you know, the the, the favor, at a, so much commentary was provided on the cable news of breaking this down. You know, you have all these legal experts. Even MSNBC was like, this is awful like you know the worst that could happen is a fine and she's removed from the case and and the worst case scenario is that she'll be disbarred and you know she's got all this stuff going on in her orbit plus she's got this witch hunt of a case against Donald Trump charging all these people with like Rico charges like they were the mafia down there in Georgia or something and now she's got to go out and defend herself the biggest I think tell that nathan wade alluded to during his deposition was the cash that was reimbursements for these elaborate trips that fanny paid wade and then wade would pay for these trips she said fanny would pay back for her parts of the trips with cash which just raised a lot of red flags and, and questions and stuff like that let's hear her get into this when the attorney started questioning her
8: but i always have cash at the house that has been i don't know all my life. If you're a woman and you go on a date with a man, you better have $200 in your pocket. So if that man acts up, you can go where you want to go. So I keep cash in my house and I don't keep cash as good in my purse like I used to. Um, I don't go on many dates, but when you go on a date, you should have cash in your pocket. Oh. So my question was where did that cash originally come from? If it didn't <laughs> come out of the bank. Let's
3: get back to the question. Cash is
8: uh, fungible. We've had cash for years in my house. So for me to tell you the source of when it comes from, when you go to Publix and you buy something, you get $50, you throw it in there. When It's been my whole life. When I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign, I kept some of the cash of that. Like, to tell you I just have cash in my house. I don't have as much today as I would normally have, but I'm building back up now. So you just put money in. It's a very good practice. I would advise it to
5: all women. Oh, thanks. You can't identify when you came into this cash or where the cash came from.
8: I didn't say I couldn't identify it. Mm -hmm. Nobody gives me anything. Uh I am sure that the source of the money is always the work, sweat, and tears of me. Uh What you asked me for is, when did the money go in there? What I am trying to tell you is, so I got divorced in 2005 from my husband.
3: Imagine that.
8: No, 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 it's important. You said, where did the money come from, From and I I need to tell you where the money came from. And so for many, many years, I have kept money in my house, that money, in my worst days has probably only been 500 or or $1,000. At my best days, I probably had $15,000 in my house at Cade, cash. At all times, there's going to be cash in my house or
5: wherever I'm laying my head. The money that you paid, Mr. Wade, the cash in October
3: of <laughs> Back to
1: the
5: question. you do not know where that money came from? I do know where it came from. It came from my sweat and tears. Oh, God. You know which job it came from. Did it come from Fulton County or did it come from a private job? It came from... I don't, I'm not a, what are you talking about?
7: She almost so said she's not a lawyer. So
3: come
5: for a, a private
8: job <laughs> yeah. because before I was DA, I was in private practice. So I earned money during that time period that's probably in there. You don't it-
3: oh gosh. Yeah, it was, uh, so from her divorce in 2005, it's now 2024, she was able to keep large sums of money on her person, not spend them for anything. And she also mentioned that when she ran her campaign, there was a lot of cash I believe the way she framed it was she loaned herself cash and whatever was left over she took back as part of the reimbursement for the loan that she gave herself in the race. It just seemed like, I don't know, if you were sitting in the FBI lunchroom yesterday and you were watching this absolute dumpster fire on TV, you were probably licking your chops. What do you think, Jim?
4: I think between them and the IRS and maybe the Federal Election Commission, absolutely. I'm not really sure you're allowed to keep your campaign money. Um, and I wonder who keeps more money in their house, her or Bob Menendez, because they mm. both seem to have an affinity for keeping money in their homes. And doesn't she sound like every stupid person you've ever had an argument with when you're trying to get a serious response to a question and she goes into the Pee Wee Herman, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but
3: what am I? Because that is exactly what she did during that entire exchange. Yeah, you, I mean, she's worth about $8 million right now on her $110,000 a year salary. Uh, You know, that was one of the things that they had some questions on that she really didn't provide any concrete answers to. She has an interesting stock portfolio, a lot of investment in gold. I was going to say, you know, Senator Menendez Googled how much is a gold bar worth. She might be actually doing the same thing. And and then when you look at, you know, some of the other things they asked her on in regards to this case after the appointment of her boyfriend, Nathan Wade, as going to be the lead prosecutor, someone who's never prosecuted a case like this before in his life, they did mention, so, you know, we already know that he went to the White House. What about you? And she said, I never went to the White House. Then, then you see it circulating online that on, you know, February 28th of last year, she met with Vice President Kamala Harris and her legal team at the White House in the side lawn tent. And what can you say? These people were just blatantly lying through their teeth through the entire time. You know, uh, and there were points of she had mentioned her lowest, where e- even though she's worth eight million dollars now, that she was having some issues prior to, I guess, coming up into the dark money that elevated her to her current position as DA. It was an interesting back and forth, to say the least. Let's hear it.
10: Well, uh, you know, and let me move on to, to to my point here. So the point is that what you're telling us is that. Uh, you were uh, in financial straits, but really that your testimony today is you had a cash hoard of maybe up to $10,000 in what? cash where you laid your head at night so that you Don't would dip out and there would be no record of it, correct?
8: That's not what I'm telling you, sir. Well, that's not That's not at all what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that throughout the course of my life, I have always kept Cash in my house. That cash has ranged from times, you know, my father would probably be ashamed of this because he would say it should be more. But that time that cash at times has ranged from five hundred dollars to maybe nine thousand dollars and he, he would be like that is not what i told you to do um, i've always had that amount of money what i've told you is that when i travel you do better negotiating when you travel if you have cash you can you go to get the cab they say oh we're going to charge you 300 for the day well i got american cash will you take it for 150 and so it's my practice to take money when i travel we're-
3: you know Two trips on Caribbean cruise ships. She went to Belize, which she couldn't locate on a map or know what continent it was on. Uh, a couple wine getaways, one especially to Napa Valley. They stayed at the Fountain Blue in Miami as well. The, the amount of just luxurious trips that they had taken on the money that she had paid Nathan Wade with to prosecute Donald Trump is just ridiculous. I mean, they rubbing being an elitist and rubbing it in people's faces isn't even... Scraping the surface of how bad this is, and she just felt like she had been to the White House, he had been to the White House, it made it sound like they had had the backing and probably the protection or even insulation of the regime. And once the receipts and the whistleblowers started to come out, and the Biden administration's got so many messes going on in their own corner that they couldn't get ahead of this, like Fannie Willis's best friend, she mentioned her father. He showed up to testify on her behalf today and completely blew out of the water one of the biggest narratives that they had provided from the beginning that this relationship didn't start any time before essentially 2022. He's a little crazy. He says he knew where COVID was back in the day, this, that, and the other thing. I've got a brief clip of him, Jim. let I was just stuck there.
5: I may be wrong, but I believe COVID hit in 2020. So I was asking about 2019. In 2019, did you spend any time in California?
4: Before COVID was even... Here in the United States, remember, I lived in South Africa and I've traveled the world. I knew COVID was coming before. I knew COVID was around before. They may have announced it in, in 20, but in fact, I knew
10: about it and I knew what was happening uh, in 19.
5: Okay, so.
3: And then he just essentially confirms that's when the relationship started uh, and that he knew that they were palling around more outside of the parameters of coworkers and even friends. You know, what's happened to Donald Trump over the course of the last three years, especially the last 18 months where they've really ramped up the attacks and the charges legally against him? I'm not talking about the stuff in the mainstream media and stuff like this. Jim, if, if just to like kind of scrape the surface here, how much money do you think Donald Trump has had to def- use to defend himself in these completely baseless cases? Tens of millions of dollars, if not more, right?
4: I've seen a number that's in excess of $100
3: million. And and this is, this is what is trying to stop Donald Trump from appearing on ballots, from running for re-election, and to become the president of the United States. This is the crap that this man has to go through on a daily basis. I mean, he was bouncing between New York courtrooms over the course of the last 24 hours. Manhattan yesterday for the Stormy Daniels case. Remember, a civil court has already found that Stormy Daniels lied about that whole thing, and she is in the hole, like, several hundred thousand dollars to pay Donald Trump back to have to sit in court because of her lies. You know, that's the whole Michael Evans. thing. the only thing. person to ever be paid by a prostitute, but that's a different story. It, it certainly is, and I like where you went with that one. But at the same time, you know, you have this Manhattan building thing going on uh, where, where they said, you know, he, he misrepresented the net worths and values of his properties and office spaces and stuff like that. And so many other courts have ruled tax-wise in his favor. In addition, it's not like he was bumping up his own numbers to like improve his financial status because not only did he take out loans in less than the amounts he actually needed because his businesses were doing so well, he paid them back so frequently on time that they gave the man trophies for it. I saw he put a you know post on his social media yesterday that he received a trophy for paying his loan back in such a good standing or, or something of that nature from one of the major banks in New York.
4: And yeah, that's, that whole one really gets me going because if you've ever sold a house, you sit down with your real estate agent and they say, what do you want to list it for? And I, you know, I want to list it for a million dollars. Well, I think the house is only worth 500000 I said, yeah, well, let's list it for a million and see what happens. And then someone comes in and says, yeah, I'll give you a million dollars for it. Then they go to their bank and their bank gets someone to appraise the home. And I says, are you kidding me? We're not going to give you that money to buy a million dollar to buy a million dollar home when it's only worth five hundred thousand. That's how these things work. You say the price that you think it is. And if someone can get the money for it, great. If they can't, they can't. But, you know, with with Trump, when you when you borrow money and you pay it back with interest on time or early and there's no victim who is, you know, being hurt by what you did, I I fail to see how there is a crime here. And even when they brought in the Deutsche Bank people to testify, the Deutsche Bank people said, "Oh no, it was great. We wanted to do more business with them." Yeah. So th- this whole thing is silly. But the the other thing is that you you got to admit they they give certain people a heck of a lot more leeway than they give Trump. Some of the exploits that that Big Fanny did on the on the on the um on the stand yesterday were just bizarre. She started going off on a rant about how. This whole thing is a threat to democracy. Like I said, she did her whole Pee Wee Herman thing with, I know you are, but what am I? And the judge, for some reason, let a lot of it go, even though, like I said, to his credit, he did at least let the, the lawyers finally get around to asking their questions and forcing them to answer them.
3: No, it's the truth. And, and I do have that as the last clip from Fannie Willis. Let's hear her talking about how her getting caught lying, probably laundering money and just being a complete fraud is less of a threat to democracy than Donald Trump.
5: Your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken when Mr. Wade.
8: Well, no, 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 look, Uh, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm oh, not on trial, no matter how tampered. hard you try to put me on trial. So,
3: And just that elitist nature that they come off like they were never going to get caught. No one was going to hurt them. It bled quickly into the mainstream media. And I have to be honest with you, between CNN and MSNBC, there was a lot of sad faces on there. I mean, Rachel Maddow and Joy Reid tried to clean it up a little bit, saying how this is like, you know, the whole black strong woman thing that... Nobody really gives a shit about it. That's the first thing they resort back to when they get caught doing things that are against the law or, you know, just completely inappropriate, which I think encompasses all of this. But, you know, when you start to look at some of these legal experts that that weighed in on this and, and just about how, you know, pessimistic they felt after hearing those two talk and then seeing some of the, I'm air quoting now, expert witnesses from today, like her father <laughs> and this ridiculous... Uh, you know, lawyer that they brought in that was talking about searing beheadings. I'll just give you guys a little snippet of just how sad it was on places like MSNBC.
5: Yeah, this this has been a bombshell and it was a slow, a sort of a slow burn. But um, if you if you parse the language, huge, huge issues here. And I want to be really clear. This is not about a relationship between two consenting adults. This has nothing to do with that. It's about lying to the court. It's about potential financial gain on the part of Fannie Willis and not not even so much that that's the second that takes the back seat here. Yeah. The issue is that her credibility is shot. Um, just as Anthony was saying, if she lied to the court, she submitted something to the court that she knew was false and inaccurate. What else was she lying about? It's a horrible, horrible look for her. I think this case is dead in the water. Oof.
3: That's the last thing that the Biden administration wants to hear. But, you know, that's the truth. And the fact of the matter is it's how can you move on with this when the entire basis of it was built on an affair and money laundering and lying and the fact that she campaigned on getting Donald Trump. And when you see the collaboration between the U.S. Justice Department up in Washington, D.C., Kamala Harris and Joe Biden directly with both of these people who are the subjects of this inquiry right now, it seems like they don't even have a leg to stand on. So, you know, I I thought it was a positive day for President Trump. Less – than it was in New York City yesterday where they announced a March 25th trial date for that Stormy Daniels thing. But you know, I, I just think some of the biggest takeaways is what we've covered. And, and I don't think how they can recover from this, Jim. You know, Before we cut with you and jump in with Oklahoma Congressman Josh Burkine, uh, what do you think?
4: No, this is dead in the water. The only question I have is, will they continue with the case with another prosecutor and a, uh, another special counsel? or are they going to just drop the thing altogether? I hope it's the latter. This whole trial has been a joke. Um, If it is against the law to question an election, then we need to go get Al Gore and Hillary Clinton (laughs) and throw them in jail right away.
3: No, it's the truth. Donald Trump felt the same way from his true social account. Does anybody really believe that Fannie Willis paid cash to get her, quoting, lover, whenever they took expensive, quoting again, trips together? Really? Where did she get the cash? Pretty weak questioning yesterday. I guess they don't want to insult her. No way she can explain any of this corruption away. And I think we're going to leave it at that. Jim, we're going to leave it at that with you as well. Why don't you tell our listenership where they could find you, check you out, read your stuff, and uh, locate you on social media.
4: Hey, guys. Yeah, again, please check me out every Friday night, Tipping Point on OAN, while I do my Everything is Stupid rant. Uh, You can catch me at Real Jim Nulls on X. And keep an eye out for my writings in The Washington Examiner and Fox News.
3: Absolutely fantastic. As it is every time we get to catch up with this guy here, he's a supply chain expert, he's a columnist, he's one of our great friends. Catch him on OAN tonight. Mr. Jim Nellis, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great weekend. You do the same. Thanks. Guys, stand by. We're getting ready to jump in with Oklahoma Congressman Josh Pakim. Before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You going a promo code STAKE here, you're gonna get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a congressman who represents Oklahoma's second congressional district. Always happy to sit back down with Mr. Josh Keene. Welcome back to
9: the show. Thank you, Rowan. Glad to be with you
3: always a pleasure congressman we have to start off taking a little bit of a victory lap earlier this week we did conclude the story at least in the house of representatives for the time being of Alejandro Mayorkas and the job that he has not done since becoming the director of homeland security his way of memoing around the constitution and circumventing uh, court orders in regards to letting in millions upon millions of people into the country he was held to account in the republican house he was officially impeached it's on to the senate why don't you tell us a little bit about how that vote went down? Adding Steve Scalise back back to the equation, and then where you think this
9: kind of goes from here? Well, just keep in mind we have a razor thin majority now in the U.S. House of Representatives, and so every vote um, counts. and And I'll just I'll just say this: for those who see the insanity of the southern border, who see inflation, who see just what government regulation, excessive spending, and that ideology is producing a lawless. Lawlessness. Um, we need, we need uh, reinforcements in the U.S. House of Representatives. For the conservatives out there listening, if you're feeling prayerfully uh, uh, led to, to run for the United States Congress and there's a Democrat uh, currently in that seat, uh, man, we need reinforcements.
3: Congressman, I want to ask you, how much of a disappointment was it to see earlier this week also? You know, whether or not you ideologically lined up with him, you know, he was always a surefire vote for America first when it came to it. And that's former representative George Santos. His seat has been taken over by former House representative Tom Swazi. And, and we're back to that game again, to where the, the margin
9: gets even slower. So so what do you think watching that whole thing develop? I, I think that, you know, you're talking about a, a, a guy who has run as a, a moderate. He ran, from my understanding, um, what's being discussed is that he talked about uh, the, the securing the border and, and came across very moderate. He's also, keep in mind, his name ID is tremendous because he's a former congressman from that congressional district. He left, from my understanding, to run for governor. And so it's a unique type situation. It was a 45-55 vote. You also had inclement weather. Uh, from my understanding, you had six hours of, of uh, weather where... On same day, which is when most conservatives turn out to vote compared to the 10,000 votes that were cast by Democrats uh, days and days before under, um, you know, the the balloting, uh, mail-in ballots. So uh, I do not think that that is indicative of the next election cycle. I think that that was a rare instance. And then, of course, you know, look, George Santos's personal behavior, uh, you've got to give him innocence until guilt on the on the court level. But just the things that he admitted to, um, you know, I think that uh, people saw that. And so you had some people who who, who said, well, I, I think I'd want my Democrat congressman back, sadly. That's a, that was a sad situation.
3: No, it certainly was. And when you see some of the other things that are alleged in the House Representative, sometimes from the other side of the aisle, we've seen such hateful and anti-Semitic rhetoric from several of the congresswomen on the other side of the aisle. And although where there's times that censorship is in place, I think the uh, – The standard that George Santos was held to was a little bit different than we've seen for a lot of other members of Congress. And and moving forward, it's come back to bite some of the House Republicans who really pushed this in the
9: butt. Yeah, let, me, let me say on that front. I did not um, support uh, removing him because of the rule of law, because there had not been a conviction. And if you go back to history, as far back as Civil War and otherwise, you had two categories: you had to be convicted, or you had to be uh, part of the United States Confederacy in rebellion against the United States. Correct. To be to be kicked out of the U.S. House of Representatives. And so what they what those that voted to expel him did was they threw away that template that's a protection. That now, if somebody just, you know, look, free, I'm part of Freedom Caucus, and there are people that don't like Freedom Caucus. And and now you have a template where people can make an accusation and toss people out because they don't like their politics. Yep. So the conviction or joining the Confederacy, that was a way to make sure that um, you really had the, the, the removal proceeding occurring based upon someone's... Um, high crimes and misdemeanors, if you will, not just because we disagree with them politically.
3: No, it's it's the truth right there. And, and you know, the way you see it. No, well, let
9: me say, so, so I, I, there's some person who's saying, well, didn't you do the same thing to Alejandro Mayorkas? No. No. You're not talking about policy difference. You're talking about a guy who, when deportation and detention and deportation says, if somebody comes across illegally, you hold them until a proceeding occurs of guilt or innocence, then you send them out of the country if, if they're guilty. And what he has done is he has changed that, sent out a memo to those under him and said, disregard the, the fact that they came in here illegally. Yep. Um, that no longer is reason enough to expel them from the country. That... Flies in the face of the Immigration Nationality Act, that, on, that plainly in Section two thirty five says otherwise. So, and then then when it comes to um, um, parole, that same law talks about on a case by case basis. He turned it into thirty thousand a month coming yep. from uh, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, et cetera. And so he took congressional law made himself superior to the voice of We the People through their elected
3: representatives. And now he's being held to account, which is great to see you guys come together on that last night. I do want to kind of stick in the thread of of Homeland and then start to segue towards budgetary, which is another one of your expertise there. And it it also encompasses the Freedom Caucus. Let's talk about the Senate Supplemental Foreign Aid Package. You know, I think Speaker Johnson did a really good job of pre-killing this and getting out ahead of it early this week. He's treating...
9: Yes, he deserves kudos
3: he's treating this bill in the same fashion that Chuck Schumer has chose to treat HR two. And I think for as many times as Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries and the Biden white house have made statements about, you know, Mike Johnson, not knowing how the system works when it comes to budgetary items. I think this is an excellent counter move for him to kind of hold this bill hostage. Now, Everyone from from people who are working in the budgetary committee all the way down to Homeland Security. And of course, the entirety of the Freedom Caucus doesn't want this bill in any way, shape or form to pass in the House. I mean, it does nothing for border security while continuing to send billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars, which does nothing but add to our debt into the abyss of Ukraine. Obviously, we all have hearts and minds for the situation there. But when it comes to wondering which one of these supplemental aid packages will eventually end the war there, I think we all know the answer. And you could probably elaborate on that.
9: Well, look, that's a great point. You know, you, how many times are you going to throw billions more when there's not a, a finite plan that's been pronounced? Um, so, a great point. And that's something that even those who aren't where I'm at, who think that we need to stop all expenditure Ukraine, you even have some more moderate among our conference who are saying, what's the plan? What's the, show us the plan? And so, you know, the, the, the true mission statement for what uh, Ukraine is up against has not been defined. Now, $60 billion is what this would ask for. You know what you could do with $60 billion? Based upon my staff's calculation and based upon some numbers we had on what it would take for every uh, foot mile of border physical border wall construction, we think you could come up with 1200 mile of border wall for that same 60 billion. There's about 700 border mile 700 mile of border wall already on the 2000 uh, southern front. If you were able to finish physical barriers Think about the dividends that would pay. Look what's just happening in Texas, yep. where the federal government backed down, and Texas has got the razor wire, the boxcars up, and now illegal immigration has said, "Oh, maybe Texas is not the place that we're going to enter. Maybe it's it's uh, California," and and so physical barriers work. We know it. Joe Biden, when he was when he was uh, United States Senator, Senator voted for the Secure Fence Act that included physical barriers. And he even said as much that physical barriers work. And and if you go back and look at his quote as United States Senator, it's because so much about the drugs, not so much about anything else that he believed in physical barriers. So it's amazing how the Democrats have morphed into this anti, not another foot Joe Biden statement when he shut down 200 mile border wall construction after he first took office. Um, The insanity of Spending money that we don't have in a country that doesn't have a true mission objective right now. And then when you take into account that Europe has not matched what the United States has already spent there, we spent 113 billion, and you add everything together that they've spent, all countries combined, they've not matched our spend, and it's in their backyard.
3: 64 border walls based off the final trump it was like between 3.5 and 3.7 billion dollars after they got through you can't use it out of department of defense money to government shutdowns etc 64 border walls worth of cash aid funding and military equipment so far have been sent to the war just in ukraine over the course of the last two years and uh, we keep a running tally here in the studio so we're not the best math wizards but that's the best way we can uh, kind of explain it to the american people
9: I'm going to go through that again. I'm really curious. You, you've got some expertise on this. Run through your numbers again because I want my staff to hear this too. The, do you do your math on that?
3: The total price that Donald Trump, if if you look on the DHS websites, will show that there's been like 11 million dollars put towards the border wall that Donald Trump al- originally proposed.
9: But what he was, for, I think you're talking about 11 billion, 11 to 15 billion. Go ahead.
3: Yep, and then it was down to like 3.5, 3.7 after all of the mitigation, government shutdowns. What was actually been able to get put up down there and things of that nature combined to what we've sent over to Ukraine, including the military equipment, which isn't also always included in these supplemental aid packages. So oh. 64 is the total we're at right now. It's looking to jump up uh, a
9: lot higher if this supplemental aid package ever gets passed. Hmm. Well, it's just amazing what uh, a country that's headed towards bankruptcy, we continue to spend money we don't have. Right. And uh, the right thing to do is start figuring out how do you pay for any ask. If you go back and look at what happened at the same time, our, our debt to GDP ratio was at the same height and rate. It's only happened one other time in history. It's off the backside of World War II. Yep. But you know the difference between that generation and this generation? They fought the war. And then from 45 to 55, they paid back the expense that they incurred. They didn't say to their children, you pay it back. They said, we'll fight the war and we'll pay it back. They, they understood that generation, the great generation understood about sacrifice. And now we're in peacetime and George Washington's final address, basically challenged the nation. When you're in peacetime, you pay back the debt that has incurred in wartime. And we're not even in wartime. We have the highest debt to GDP ratio we've ever had in nation's history absent World War II. Correct. And yet we continue to kick the can down the road and say, We're going to live at peace. We're going to live high on the hog. And we're going to ask our kids and our grandkids to pay this back. What does that
3: say for the deadline that's now less than a month away for the current continuing resolution? Are you guys looking to tackle this more on a a yearly basis now? Or do you think there'll be another short-term, maybe laddered Band-Aid like Mike Johnson
9: has kind of pushed the last couple times? Yeah, look, I hope that we we get serious. The problem is is that there's not solidarity in the Republican conference to really tackle with sizable solutions to match the sizable problem. If we would just go back to pre-COVID spending levels, um, if we would just reset back to pre-COVID spending levels and only grow our government at 2%, we could actually hold s- stable our debt-to-GDP ratio, according to the Cato Institute. And, and, and people don't understand, on the discretionary budget, it's been plused up 30% after COVID. We could, if we just go back to pre COVID spending levels, 2019 spending levels, there'd be a 30% reduction in discretionary spending. Now, that's not mandatory. That doesn't include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, veteran benefits. But on the discretionary side, it's been plused up 30%. If we would just say, was 2019 the amount of federal expenditure not enough? Revert back to those spending levels and only let government growth climb at 2%, then we could stave off the calamity that's coming to us. We could stave it off. That would just hold it at bay. But we don't have the willingness in this Congress to do that. Both Republicans and and Democrats, this is what I challenge your viewership to do. Everybody on the Republican side is a campaign conservative. You need to fact check every one of us by our votes on the board. If we're not willing to go back to 2019 spending levels on program after program after program, how do you think we'll ever really be able to solve our financial woes?
3: It's an excellent point you make. And, you know, when you when you talk about the fight to get back to those pre-COVID spending levels, it, it's it's one of the oddest and, and most peculiar things I've ever seen go down in the House of Representatives, the over 100 who always vote with the Democrats to keep the, the government funding, the virtue signaling that goes on right before the vote hits the floor where you have some of the I don't know, congressmen who kind of know how Congress really works instead of the way it works for American people going on CNN and MSNBC saying like, hey, you know, you want to know what? Nobody likes this spending, but if you don't vote for it, then you hate the military. You don't want them to eat, this, that, and the other. We all know that there's like components of that that have some honesty in it, but the overall that's not the way that that – this goes down. The only way that this goes right. down is if we really address these bills, get back to pre-COVID spending first, and then start to really work on trimming the fat moving forward of how our government could work more efficiently and cost-effective for the American people, especially against the debt and the annual budget
9: deficit. I was on budget committee this morning. I asked the director of CBO, nonpartisan, it has to answer both Republicans and Democrats, can you tell me about our interest payments and what the new numbers you're projecting that our interest payments this year- will match our entire spend on defense of our nation. Wow. He confirmed that. This is the first year in our nation's history where what we spend just on debt service payments, all the borrowing that's for, you know, really happened for the most part in the last 40 years to the ster- levels on steroids, but our interest payments, money flushed down the toilet on an annual basis, match, now match, what we spend to defend our country. That's troop pay and defense contracts, a trillion dollars almost to each financially within 10 years when Medicare and Social Security when the payroll tax cannot keep up with those programs because of the payroll tax and longevity of people on those programs, lifespan increases 10 years from now Social Security and Medicare both will be hit insolvency not be able to pay not be able to pay hundred percent of their their required payout because of the lack of revenue coming in and people are going to clamor and say pull out of the general revenue but Roan, the problem is, there's nothing in the general revenue. Right. By the time the amount of revenue that comes in right now goes to pay to keep Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, food stamps, veteran benefits afloat, pulling out the general welfare for all of that, there is no revenue left for what's called the discretionary budget. We're on 100% borrowed money for the 12 appropriation bills that we vote on every year now. Uh, every time that you hear people talk about well, Congress is voting on appropriations bills, we have now moved into the threshold where 100% of that's borrowed money. And that that will come into uh, uh, a place to where the mandatory side is going to have to be borrowed money within 10 years. We are headed wild. towards the death spiral financially. Yeah, and it looks like uh, until we get some more
3: congressmen like yourself up there, th- there's no end in sight to this. Uh, last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman, I think uh, just a little bit of commentary. We saw the damning report from the Robert Herr-led special counsel investigation into Joe Biden's handling of classified documents and materials that was released late last week. There's been a lot of spin, uh, more from the, you know, Democrat side of the aisle where you have agency figureheads and administration officials coming out and reminding everybody about how sharp Joe Biden is and how prepared they need to be when they go and have meetings with him, all the way down to, you know, some of the more prominent commentators. There was an epic back and forth last weekend between Bob Costas and Bill Maher where, you know. Bill Maher is essentially alluding to him getting switched out at the DNC convention, and then Bob Costa saying, like, Democrats like to campaign on Donald Trump being a threat to democracy while keeping Joe Biden, uh, you know, on the ballot up until the election is a threat to democracy now as well. So. As you guys are kind of looking at this in the Freedom Caucus, there are some big questions being raised. If you're not mentally fit, apparently, to stand trial, I know you guys would love to hear you know, the interview tapes to, to confirm what's written in the report, but how are you mentally fit to be the chief executive of essentially the greatest nation on the planet?
9: Yeah, that's right, man. And look, there are some decisions that you make as President of the United States that you're not asking permission for. And so if you've got a, a Department of Justice saying that that uh, they're not going to put you on trial because of your mental um, lack of mental prowess. And at the same time, you can, somebody trying to defend Joe Biden says he's capable of, of running the country, mm. having the, the nuclear code at his fingertips. Uh, how is that not uh, a threat to all of us? And, and how is it not that if you're um, in countries, the leadership of countries that hate us, that you're not looking at now or never as you're timing to do something, um, taking advantage of somebody like that in office.
3: That's a great point you make, you know, for all the red lines in the sand that both Joe Biden and his predecessor, Barack Obama, as far as Democrat presidents go, Uh, that they drew and were trampled over by people in Syria, terrorist organizations, and Vladimir Putin, it seems like now they're getting even more of a green light to do whatever they want because between what's been going on with Lloyd Austin, the poor recruitment and, and lack of munitions and artillery in the military combined with this damning report on Joe Biden, it seems like we don't really know who's honestly running the country at this point.
9: Yeah. And it, look, I signed on uh, this morning to something that Ron Jackson, who was President Trump's physician, is leading an effort on to, to basically say that the, the part of of removing a president, invoking the 25th Amendment to remove a president, was built upon the concept um, that you might have a president who would not see their own limitations, their Correct. mental uh, capacity limitations. And now, do I like the thought of a Kamala Harris, um, you know, in that position? But I also love my country. And uh, look, I, I, I think the American people, if people say, well, for political reasons, you know, what about her in that position? Wouldn't she, would she stand a better chance? Uh, I think the American people have her figured out as well. Our poll number surely suggests just as much. Congressman, <laughs> I think we're going to leave
3: it at that. Awesome catching up with you today as it is anytime you could stop Thank by you. the show. Not as much as we would prefer or our listenership, but we know you're one of the busy ones up there on the Hill. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Anybody who wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out?
9: Uh Berkeen.house.gov and then uh, Congressman Josh Berkeen on social media. Absolutely And then fantastic. my last name is difficult, B-R-E-C-H-E-E-N. Uh, three E's. We never mess up
3: the spelling here and love sitting down with the congressman who's representing Oklahoma's second congressional district. Joshua King, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you.
9: Mr. President,
6: how'd it go?
10: So instead of being in South Carolina and other states campaigning, I'm stuck here. It's an election interference case. Nobody's ever seen anything like it in this country. It's a disgrace. It's a disgraceful situation, actually. And we'll just have to figure it out. I'll be here during the day, and I'll be campaigning during the night. Biden should be doing the same thing, but he'll be sleeping. This is all from the DOJ. This all comes out of Washington. They're coordinated with the district attorney and the AG. The case tomorrow, which is a rigged deal, is uh, all coordinated with the uh, district attorney and it's coordinated with the Attorney General of New York, Leticia James, who ought to be ashamed of herself. She's campaigned for years of trying to get Trump without knowing anything about me. It's all a rigged, it's a rigged state, it's a rigged city, it's a shame. They ought to, what they ought to do is go out and take care of the violent crime and the migrant crime that's destroying people and killing people. Not a case that everybody says, you take a look at the legal documents and the legal scholars writing about this. They say there's no crime. This is no crime. But outside, right outside their courthouse, this courthouse, people are being murdered. So it's a very unfair situation. They want to keep me nice and busy so I can't campaign so hard. But maybe we won't have to campaign so hard because the other side is incompetent. The other side's done a horrible job running this country. They've done a horrible job at the border. You take a look at New York with the hundreds of thousands of people pouring in from other countries all over the world. You just take a look at what's happening. And I'm going to have to sit here for months on a trial. I think it's ridiculous. It's unfair. A trial that legal scholars say there's no crime. They say there's no crime. Now somebody asked a question about NATO before, all I can say is this, NATO countries have to pay up, they have to pay their bills. The United States is in for $200 billion and they're in for $25 billion. Apparently dollars. the reporter's got to battery you know, on their, their camera. Their economy, when you add them up, they add up the countries uh, that make up NATO, it's about the same size as our economy. So we're in for 200 billion, they're in for 25 billion, and it's much more important to them because we have an ocean in between. It's a much more, much different thing. So the NATO countries have to pay up. They're not paying up, they're not paying what they should, and they laugh at the stupidity of the United States of America, where we have a guy that gives 60 billion dollars every time somebody comes and asks for it. We shouldn't be doing that. They're laughing at us. They think we're the stupid country because of our leadership. But as far as this is concerned, it's election interference by Biden because it's the only way he can think to get elected because he's accomplished nothing. But I'm honored to sit here. I'm honored to sit here day after day after day on something that everybody says the greatest legal scholars say It's not even a crime. Thank you very much.
6: How do you plan on campaigning while you're in court, sir?
10: I'll do it in the evening. Are you coming back tomorrow for the
3: verdict? And that was the 45th president, who seemed highly agitated after leaving a Manhattan courtroom yesterday, where he found out that on March 25th, his, as the media is putting it, Stormy Daniels' hush money case will now begin. That's being spearheaded by Fat Alvin Bragg, the New York District Attorney. And uh, much to the dismay of Donald Trump and all of America First, jumping back into the second news portion of our first podcast today. It was great catching up with Congressman Josh And I tell you what, guys, a straight shooter, tells it like it is. And then opening up the show with our good friend, economist, supply chain expert Jim Nels to cover the Fannie Willis debacle that happened down in Fulton County yesterday. Obviously much of the same up in Manhattan, so you're going to be flying with just me today. Noah's out of the office. Listen, when the forklifts come a-calling, a forklift and he must do. So I'm going to try and be less annoying Ben Shapiro and more Rush Limbaugh. Let's see if we can accomplish that in our... Last three new segments, we've got a bunch of great interviews still coming down the pike. In just a few minutes, we're going to be catching up with Congressman Andy Harris. And then in our second edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast today, another all-new show. We're going to have former acting ICE director Tom Holman, former deputy assistant to President Trump, Theo Wold, and then congressional candidate... In Nebraska, too, who's looking to primary Don Bacon, Dan Fry will be joining us for the first time. So lots of stuff to talk about. Um, You know, As Donald Trump's legal battles continue, we see a lot of other stuff that kind of all encompasses this going on, both on Capitol Hill and in the news. So we all know Congress, well, if you don't know, I'm going to tell you, Congress is now out of session. It is the 16th of February, and they will not be reconvening until February 28th, last business day of February. The first of the two-step ladder of the current CR that our government is currently funded by ends on March 1st, the second on March 9th. In addition to killing the Senate border agreement and not taking up the Ukraine supplemental package, Mike Johnson has kind of said, well, if we're not going to secure the border, why fund the government? And it has sent everybody essentially back to district. Now, there will be some committee work. The Biden impeachment inquiry. I saw one on COVID stuff yesterday. And then we're going to be looking at, you know, the redoing of FISA and Section 702, which essentially now is kicked down the road till March as well. But it doesn't mean that House Republicans aren't looking at, as you heard from Rep. Berkeen, I'm sure we'll hear the same from Andy Harris in just a bit, this is something that, you know, when it comes to that lawful search and seizure and circumvention of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution that our federal agencies have weaponized since 2008 or 2009 when this became a thing, it's all starting to, I guess, pull the curtain back on Donald Trump being right about his campaign being spied on again. It leads into his document case. It leads into the fact that they... Might have been spying on him, you know, all the way back from 2015 up through the transition at Trump Tower and even into the White House during his first term. You know, for something that was meant to counter terrorism and prevent things from like 9-11 from ever happening again, we all know where we sit currently with the way FISA is being abused, especially when it comes to Section 702. I saw House Republicans yesterday before they broke for the next couple weeks kind of lay out some of the expectations and disappointments they have with the FISA. Let's hear it.
0: Mr. Yes, Chairman. You know, as I toured the district, the number one concern, or at least one of the top concerns was the weaponization of government against American citizens. And so as we start addressing these FISA issues, this has got to be a priority. And, you know, it's uh, the Fourth Amendment is clear. Americans are protected from unreasonable searches and seizures without a warrant. But the FBI has used FISA 702, which is meant for gathering intel on foreign nationals, hundreds of thousands of times to spy on American citizens without a warrant. Instead of spo- focusing outwardly on, on America's enemies, they are focusing inwardly, inwardly on the American people. In 2021 alone, the FBI used FISA, seven, FISA, FISA 702 300,000 times to spy on American citizens, Oof. including Biden's political opponents. Mm-hmm. In 2020, the Department of Justice admitted Warrants they used to spy on Trump's campaign lacked probable cause. Y'all remember how all that started, right? Clapper briefed Obama in the White House with Biden, then the VP, and Loretta Lynch sitting in the room and said, hey, just so you guys know, heads up, the DNC and the Clinton camp are working on this Russian collusion narrative. Mm. Call me leaves the room and within a few short hours opened an investigation in which he began to spy on the Trump campaign with General Flynn and the rest the abuse of power between the FBI and how they use that against political opponents and yet that same FBI who offered Christopher Steele a million dollars to verify anything in the dossier turned around and gave Twitter three million to scrub the Hunter Biden laptop story in the following election correct why would we as Congress authorize an NDAA which attaches this FISA reauthorization to spy on American citizens in an election year, certainly with a with an embattled political campaign going on for both sides, and we know they spied on Trump. So it just does not make sense. I think our job up here, most of us know, is to protect your liberty, folks. This was bipartisan out of the judiciary. When we brought this bill out, both sides saw the dangers that we were facing as American citizens. Our job is to protect your liberty. We got to hold the line. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Representative.
3: Well, he's going to turn it back to me. That was uh, Representative Barry Moore. He was flagged by several members of the Freedom Caucus. I see Matt Rosendale and Ralph Norman behind him. Bob Good was also there. Uh, Mike Collins was in attendance as not a member of the Freedom Caucus, as was Matt Gate, who, according to Bob Good, isn't a member of the Freedom Caucus yet, I heard on his latest episode of Firebrand yesterday. So rehashing open a lot of stuff and, and this fake news, which kind of fueled the investigations and essentially spying into the Trump campaign, and, you know, Donald Trump's transition team in the, in the first part up through probably when he fired Comey, they knew he wasn't essentially fucking around anymore um, during his first term in office. And, you know, we we take this with such, I, I you know, I think it's sometimes that the, there's so much news and, and we just get inundated with it that things like stuff Congress is working on doesn't become that important to us. But, you know, the whole Russian collusion timeline obviously started with... Christopher Steele in the Clinton campaign was kicked down to Brennan, who, as the congressman alluded to, made the call to James Comey. James Comey then leaked work documents to provoke a special counsel. We all know how that went down, the Mueller investigation. Adam Schiff pushed this lie every single day on any cable outlet that would take him, saying that he had the proof and Donald Trump was finished. And, you know, the president and the vice president at the time was Barack Obama and Joe Biden, if Joe Biden didn't know about it, it was for surely that Barack Obama approved it. So rehashing that timeline right there, I think at a moment in this session of Congress where they are looking to finally put the clamps down and reinstitute our Fourth Amendment rights as American citizens here, you know, it's it's just something that we have to do. Uh, this is probably up there with the economy and border as as some of the biggest things that you know, Congress really needs to address. I'm not talking about things that are affecting American citizens right now, per se, like the top 10 issues, but this is something that Congress needs to hold the line on right now and, you know, kind of take care of in its own sense. So Fox News has uh, kind of went with a story this week, talking about some of this stuff, and uh, a lot of it is stemming from reports. The U.S. government is hiding documents that incriminate intelligence community for their illegal spying and election interference, say sources that were leaked to Politico. A little bit more on that. A missing binder of top secret intelligence about Russian threats to national security says outlets like CNN, but it really doesn't. And now credible sources are saying that the U.S. government is hiding these documents because it incriminates the intelligence community for illegal spying and election interference. So, you know, when you talk about all the stuff that's going on with this FISA and the continuation of the spying when you look at, I guess, the hostage that is now Joe Biden, remember, those transcripts and report that came out from Robert Hur, who led the special counsel into investigating Joe Biden for his mishandling of documents, classified material, they have a videotaped deposition. Another weird fact that came out about this, it's now being reported that Robert Herr never even asked Joe Biden about the timeline regarding the death of his son, which Joe Biden strongly pushed back on when he came out for that half-drugged presser that he did following the release of the Robert Hur report last week. But apparently, Joe Biden just kind of made that up to maybe garner some sympathy from the American public. But now the people who are closely associated with Robert Hur's office and, and did portions of this special counsel investigation are saying, we never even asked him about this. What is this crazy old man talking about? But now that Fox News is kind of rerunning with this investigation into what really happened with the spying that happened around Donald Trump and his campaign. Remember, this encompassed everybody, not just General Flynn, Devin Nunes, Cash Patel, Rick Grinnell. All these people were involved in, you know, C- Carter Page and all of Donald Trump's attorneys, people that worked on the campaign, like Corey Lewandowski, and how they made all of these people into, like, the George Papadopoulos, into fake Russian assets and to continue this investigation. Oh, yeah, we'll just take this, like, low-level staffer and we'll say, you know, he's doing this, that, or the other thing, or meeting these people, or went here, even in some cases when they didn't just to continue to get the funds and the approvals from the FISA courts to continue spying. It's interesting to see coming back into the news. Fox ran with a little bit of it yesterday. Let's hear it.
8: Fading ...the 2016 Russia collusion hoax by asking foreign intelligence agencies to illegally spy on the mm. Trump campaign.
1: Lucas Tomlinson in Washington with more, Lucas. Good early morning, Carly and Todd. This report from Substack citing multiple unnamed sources claims the U.S. intelligence community asked foreign spy agencies to help spy on more than two dozen associates of Donald Trump in the run-up to the 2016 election. It reads in part, quote, President Barack Obama's CIA director, John Brennan, had identified 26 Trump associates for the Five Eyes to target. A source confirmed that the IC had identified them as people to bump or make contact with or manipulate. They were targets of our own IC and law enforcement, targets for collection and misinformation. Now, the Five Eyes nations are the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia and New Zealand. Here's one of the reporters, Michael Schellenberger, who spoke to Jesse Waters last night.
7: If this binder contains what we have been told that it contains, which may include raw intelligence information showing that the U.S. government, the CIA and the intelligence community of the U.S. government initiated the Russia collusion hoax, that it did not occur in the way that the official story, including the Durham investigation, had portrayed it, then that's extremely
1: serious information. The report was released at the same time House conservatives are preparing a bill that would reauthorize Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act that allows the government to collect communications from foreigners abroad. And today, the House Rules Committee is set to meet over that FISA reform bill, guys. Lucas
3: Tomlinson. Very interesting to hear, and, and it'll be interesting to see what Speaker Johnson and the rest of the House Republicans, the America First ones, who want to get ahead of this thing and and make sure that, you know, there are some revisions to 702 and the overall FISA-ness of it is taken care of. So, you know, and and going back to Donald Trump always being right or the people who are pushing the biggest lies always being proven wrong it's not something that we just kind of say as a joke or, or the Trump curse is real, which it most certainly is, Um, you know, but, Donald Trump sat down with the media, some of the biggest media, back in 2020, in addition to taking time from his press conferences to really hit home that this not only was going on, but he had caught them and they had everything that they needed to prove it. Now, this might leave me to believe that maybe that binder was taken down to Mar-a-Lago and that was kind of the fuel that the Justice Department used in wanting to get it back that led to the raid there. I mean, you know, we joke about them playing with Barron Trump's toys and sifting through Melania Trump's underwear draw, but the fact of the matter is, is that no other president had been treated this way, Uh, especially when Donald Trump seemed to be working with the National Archives pretty efficiently, in addition to the amount of security that he had at Mar-a-Lago, not just with Secret Service, but private security as well. Before we hear from the former president, Back during his first term in office, I just want to remind everybody, wherever you listen to the podcast today, hopefully it's on Apple Podcasts, because listen, Apple Top 100, massaging the algorithms, making suggestions for our show more present, all is helped out by you guys. We amplify your voice as you continue to download our podcast. We're also on Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts as well. Make sure you're following the show. In addition, you can check us out on social media. Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram is where you'll find our accounts. Follow them. Hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything we've got going on on the show. You'll see our weekly newsletter that comes out via our Substack. All the great memes, upcoming guests, and the top headlines that we're tackling. Let's check in on Donald Trump back in 2020 when he sat down with 60 Minutes for an interview talking about not only the spying that went on, but the fact that these stories were all crushed in the media, especially by those who were interviewing me at the time.
10: So, the biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign, Well, there's Leslie.
5: no e- real evidence of that. Of yes, course there is. <laughs> no. It's all over
10: the place. Leslie, Sir, they spied on my campaign and they got I, caught. Can
5: I say something? Oh. You know, this is 60 Minutes, oh. and we can't put on things we can't well, verify. You won't put
10: it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on
5: things we can't verify. Leslie, they oh. spied
10: on my campaign. Well, we can't verify It's been totally that. verified. Damn! It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign. They got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie, and you know that, but you just don't want to no, put it on the air. No, as a matter of fact, I don't know You're a nasty person. Yes,
3: she certainly is. That aged marvelously. And, and you know, it wasn't just during interviews or, or outtakes that it turned out to be because they never wanted to show or they never wanted to promote the fact that Donald Trump was saying that at the direction of... Their sweetheart, their darling, the best president in the history of the galaxy, Barack Obama, was so afraid of what Donald Trump was going to do to shake up the D.C. swamp that he was going to go and spy on him and use every avenue possible to not only ruin his campaign, but his eventual victory, his transition, and then his first term in office. Donald Trump used the podium several times this one from august of 2020 to reiterate the same facts that he couldn't get across on 60 minutes let's check it out
10: have it documented we have it in texts we have it in all sorts of forms they knew about it it was a terrible thing should have never happened and should never be allowed to happen again to a president this should never happen again this was a setup like we've never seen i think it's a political crime of the century And they've been caught. So let's see what happens to them all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
3: And and what the eventual outcome to all of this, what it will be, is is still yet to be determined. But, you know, a, a second term in office, I'm starting to gather that a lot of these intelligence officials, the lower level ones who are coming forward and leaking These bits and pieces of Donald Trump was right information to places like Politico and Axios and CBS News and places of that nature. Remember, Donald Trump plans on firing a third of the administrative federal workforce within the first hundred days of the second Trump administration. It would be pretty good for job security if you were on the right team when this happened. And I think for all the people who may have you know, just been following orders when they were spying on Donald Trump or lying about people on his campaign or his transition team or in his first administration that were Russian assets or election deniers or, you know, collaborators of crimes and things of that nature. I I think you're going to start to see a lot more of this, maybe even up to the point of whistleblowers. Who knows? But, you know, it's just one of those things where this has really turned into not what the Biden administration needs at this point, because anything that happened then is directly connected to Joe Biden because he was the vice president of the United States. And when he apparently wasn't worried about lining his own pockets with Chinese and Russian and Romanian and Ukrainian dollars, he was helping Barack Obama carry out these schemes to ruin Donald Trump's first term in office. And it takes me back to the fact that when you look at the things that this man was able to accomplish, for as much as he is loathed in the mainstream media and how much of the just absolute swamp was up against him, you know, it's one thing to have Hillary Clinton take potshots at him or Barack Obama take potshots at him and to provide negative commentary about Donald Trump. But when you saw how the weaponization was starting and where it's at now, and Donald Trump was still able to bring peace to the Middle East, walk into North Korea, secure the U.S. southern border, have the best economy in the history of this country, twice, reduce crime, and all the other things that he was able to accomplish, it's a miracle. Like, there wasn't anybody that was working with him. Half the time, it wasn't even his own cabinet officials. You know, we've had so many, Dr. Peter Navarro talked about how People in the White House, you know, legal team were just pushing back on every single thing he wanted to do. Stephen Miller said the same stuff. Amanda Milius has come on the show. You know, She was a high-ranking official at the State Department under Mike Pompeo. She said Mike Pompeo used to go to the White House with Morgan Ortega, and then they'd come back and make fun of Donald Trump and his family to everybody at the State Department, and her office would be, like, right down the hallway, and she'd hear it, you know. And just for the sole fact that he was able to get stuff done shows that if more people are on board— and battle-tested, and they don't bring in as many outsiders as they did last time. The next Trump term in office might be the most successful four-year term in the history of our country. We'll have to see, but I'm just telling you that what they're trying to do right now, the team that they're building, it it will be almost incomparable. Last clip I've got before we jump in with Congressman Harris, Caroline Levitt was on the Botox Queen Laura Ingram show last night. She's going to be sitting down for a Botox-exclusive with Donald Trump, I believe, tonight. If there's anything pertinent, we'll bring it in and throw it into our next show. But I think we're getting a rally over this weekend as well, so we'll have highlights of that. But, you know, she was talking about everything from the Fannie Willis case to what's happened to President Trump in the past and everything in between, and I think it's a good lead-out. Let's check it out.
6: Well, President Trump has long said that this Fannie Willis case is a sham, it has no legal basis, and it should be dismissed. And today, the entire world got to see that President Trump is 100% right. Even MSDNC, the legal analysts over there on Joe Biden's own propaganda network, admitted that Fannie Willis had a very bad day. But more importantly, Laura, Joe Biden had a very bad day because it's Joe Biden and his White House who are relying on these sham cases from Fulton County, Georgia, to New York City, to Washington, D.C., led by these far-left Democrat district attorneys and prosecutors to take down his leading political opposition, and that is President Trump. If you look at all of these cases, they all have a few similarities. They're brought forth by by far left district attorneys and prosecutors. But the timing is not coincidental. All of these people, Jack Smith, Fannie Willis, Alvin Bragg, have had years Get to him, prosecute girl. President Trump if they really felt like he was truly a criminal. But guess what? They know that's not true. Well, they are doing it to protect Joe Biden and remove President Trump's name off the ballot ahead of the next election because they know that Joe Biden they're, they're, cannot beat him fair yeah. and square at the ballot.
3: She's an absolute firebrand. I love her. I talked to her yesterday, actually. Don't worry. We got her on the day that she picked up her promotion to be the national spokeswoman for the Trump 2024 campaign. But she will be back, if not by the end of February, in the very beginning of March. She's promised to meet us for one of our dates. And throughout the rest of the campaign season, all the way up to November, we'll be getting Caroline Levin in here at least once a month to talk to our listenership, as she's done pretty much for the last over a year now. So it's been great catching up with her. Awesome seeing her hold the line for America First on Laura Ingram show last night. And we're going to lead out with that. Jump in with Congressman Andy Harris. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners.
2: It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, Options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you that's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order 1-800-527-2150 make america healthy again
3: all right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman who serves Maryland's 1st Congressional District. Always happy to catch up with Dr. Andy Harris. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. Tried to get all your titles in there. I know there are quite a few of them, but I think we covered them all. Yeah. Well, you guys had a pretty busy week up on Capitol Hill. Uh, I think starting off with the Alejandro Mayorkas impeachment is a good benchmark for House Republicans, those in the Freedom Caucus who have been fighting to show the American public the job that he hasn't done since taking office uh, when it comes to enforcing the rules and, and laws that are on the books, the job that he has done in circumventing the Constitution and and wiggling his way around every court ruling that's gone, not in the, I guess, secretary's favor, you could say. As you saw Steve Scalise come back to the Hill this week and things just kind of materialize in real time, how good of a benchmark is this for the House Republicans in, in, in what's been a very busy year in the 118th session of Congress? And, and what do you guys see moving forward? Do you think we'll ever see the Senate trial as, as far as it goes for Mayorkas? Well, I don't
7: know. Look, that's going to be up to Chuck Schumer. He's going to try to weasel his way out of having to do a Senate trial because he knows that the immigration uh, border situation is lethal for the Democrats this November. Uh, that's why it was so important that the House Republicans took a stance, impeached on Mayorkas, uh, the Senate, as you can tell is unfortunately, is not going to take leadership on this on this issue, which was pointed out in the failure of their border, uh, you know, adding real meaningful border security to the Ukraine supplemental package. So the House had to step up. We stepped up. We impeached Mr. Mayorkas.
3: You know, at, at the very least, I think it shows the American people that when it comes to getting together on things that we know are are one of the top two issues between the border security and the economy and being able to get a W on that is that you guys can still get the job done. I thought it was very good for House Republicans. And moving forward, whether or not he's going to be held accountable or, or steps down or Joe Biden decides to make a change, I guess that's kind of up to the administration. But as far as the House of Representatives goes, I think it's good work. But it's not like the job starts and ends there. As soon as Alejandro Mayorkas's impeachment was done, we were already starting to see the pushback on the 702, uh, Section 702 and FISA stuff that are coming down the pike now, we we know there needs to be revisions. We know how a lot of people in, in the America First delegation of the House of Representatives, the Freedom Caucus as well, feels about the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution. That's the right to lawful search and seizure, things of that nature, getting a warrant whenever you're going to be investigating U.S. citizens and uh it seems like although the date for this really getting reworked seems to be kicked down the road a little bit, I think it's uh, because you guys have a lot to do and kind of hash out behind closed doors and conference on it. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on, on how you see this at least starting to develop for House Republicans?
7: Sure. So the big issue is, uh, look, we, we need Americans to get behind, and I think they will get behind, the idea that if you want to go after uh, information on an American citizen, you have to get a warrant. Uh, look, this is what people expect. They don't expect their privacy to be invaded unless there's probable cause and a warrant where the government has to go before a judge, make a case, uh, you know, in order to go after your private information. That's what this fight is all about, really. Uh, and there are people who believe that uh, that uh, the, the end justifies the means. And if the end is we have to prevent a terrorist attack or something bad happening at any and all cost, even sacrificing, uh, you know your Fourth Amendment rights. I'm just going to disagree with them. I, th- I think that, that that's what makes us look like a lot of nations we don't want to look like, uh, where you have where you have a structure in place that can go after private citizens. Now, obviously, if you're an Amer- if you're an American, you're a terrorist. There are other ways to to uh, go about it. Uh, again, the even the mislabeling of terrorism, domestic terrorism by the administration, should make people worry about uh, warrantless searches of private information.
3: What do you think it is when it comes to the pushback from the intelligence community? Do you think they've just gotten so used to being able to, essentially when it comes to, you know, surveillance that doesn't really fall within the guidelines of the Constitution and allows Americans to have the rights to, you know, be investigated or searched in a lawful manner? Do you think they've gotten so used and accustomed to abusing this system? That's where you get the massive pushback. It always seems like if it's not something directly terror related, they always try to push it off on places like China or Russia, whenever sections. 702 comes up for review.
7: Yeah, look, I always say, this, look, to someone with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. I mean, the intelligence, the intelligence community just thinks that they should, uh, they should have access to all this information. They're somehow justified to do it. And I disagree. Look, they have to abide by the Constitution. This country survived over 200 years abiding by the Constitution with regards to illegal search and seizure. We should keep on going on that record because it does differentiate us from from other countries around the world where that's not
3: true. Do you think as we get through the back end of this session of Congress, based off a lot of that narrative, it's it's one similar we hear for all the congressmen and women come through the show, we're going to be able to be able we're going to be able to figure out how to rework some of that 702 and make it more appropriate for when it's applied via the law.
7: I think we did. I think that a lot of the uh, provisions in the bill that's going to come up subject to amendment are good provisions. Uh, I think we have to make them even better, again, by uh, outlawing warrantless searches on Americans. Again, you know, Americans expect that if you're going to invade their privacy, you're going to have to prove that, that there was a reason to invade it, and that means you have to
10: get a warrant
3: an excellent point you make there. I do want to segue a little bit, keep it up on Capitol Hill. You know, one of the biggest things that fell into the lap of House Republicans last week and for the American public was the report from the Robert hur led special investigation into Joe Biden's handling of classified material, both at times when he was the vice president, a private citizen, maybe even going back to when he was a Senator, some of the language in there, especially for someone who's running a reelection campaign to be president of the United States would, you know, many teams would think is a pretty damning wordage to the way it came out, a mentally, you know, in decline and unable to remember dates that you would think are huge milestones in somebody's life when you served as vice president, unfortunately, when one of his sons had passed away from uh, cancer. And it, it raises a lot of red flags. It seems that there's going to be no legal consequences because of Joe Biden's ability to be able to stand trial. But now it's Seem to be okay by a lot of people in the administration. Obviously, a lot of the left-wing press is saying that, you know, he's completely fine to be the chief executive of the most powerful country on the planet. I know House Republicans are waiting for probably videos of these interviews, but just based off of the transcripts and things that you've been able to glean from it since the reports come out, how are you looking at this and and how are you and maybe other members of the Freedom Caucus looking to push back in the administration when it comes to uh, standing up for Joe Biden's ability to be the president? look i think the average
7: american probably doesn't even have to see those those uh videos uh, they see the videos they see how this president performs when he reads from a teleprompter all looks good the moment he goes off teleprompter it sends a shiver down everyone's spine because this is the person who's uh you know 10 feet away from the nuclear football has to make decisions on the fly no teleprompter involved if you've got to make those decisions Americans are just worried. And, and look, we, we've seen the polling. Almost 90% of Americans think he's too old to be president. Anybody who looks at this objectively believes it. So uh, the, her report didn't put up the red flags. It reinforced the red flags that were already there.
3: Now, when you see House Republicans on break for a little while, although there is going to be committee work done uh, during that time as well, what are some of the things that you guys are looking to focus in hard on? I know you're on the Budget Committee and the continuing resolution is going to be ending just after the first week of March. I, I know Republicans are deciding on whether or not they want another laddered, continue. well, obviously Republicans want a budget, but in regards to the rest of this session of Congress, is it going to continue to be the short-term laddered uh, continuing resolution or are we going going to go towards something that's a little bit more long-standing. It just seems that when you guys are working towards this, it, it's where can you achieve the maximum amount of cuts that best benefit the American people against the, the national debt and, and you know, annual budget deficit and things of that nature.
7: Well look given our small majority and the fact that we have some republicans in the conference who just don't mind uh, the levels of spending the, again that were negotiated uh, between the speaker and the senate and the president sure. I think we're, we're going to have we're going to have appropriations bills being negotiated right now that eventually come out at those levels uh, I think the democrats are going to push for even more spending we have to resist that at all costs uh, but I think there are going to be appropriations bills that's really what's the focus in the next 2 weeks is really to get that process to the point where we're not gonna be delaying this another month or two. And parallel to that, making sure that we don't have one huge big omnibus because that is, that's a disaster waiting to happen with all the things you can attach to that. So we, we hope to ladder it uh, in a series of mini buses, you know, maybe three bills at a time or something, uh, but avoid that omnibus at all costs.
3: You know, I think that's an excellent point you make, because when you talk about it, I think this was probably one of the best weeks that House Republicans had this entire session with all the stuff that came out from the Biden administration, obviously the impeachment of Mayorkas. It was kind of sad to see George Santos's congressional seat flip from Republican to Democrat. But, you know, Tom Suozzi's got real name recognition up in Nassau County, and it's only a special election, which goes to November. So it's not like it's forever. But, you know, when, when you talk about all of this stuff and, and then the potentiality of, of things like an omnibus coming down the path, I, I would probably see. And I think you guys are in agreement. You know, we, we've got so many people from the Freedom Caucus who come on. We had Rep. Keen on earlier in the show, obviously. Ralph Norman and Bob Goods a regular on the show. And it just doesn't seem like something that they want to entertain when you talk about getting to these budgetary items that, uh, you know, have just been out of control since we've gone. Continuing resolution afterwards with all the post-COVID spending and, and staying at those levels that Nancy Pelosi just helped explode the budget, you know, $4 trillion since 2019.
7: Yeah, look, to the insiders, uh, the fact of the matter is that we have to hope that we elect a Republican president, a majority in the, in the Senate, we don't need 60, a majority in the House, and then we cut back that spending through reconciliation. There is a means that was provided uh, decades ago to actually be able to cut spending with a simple majority in the Senate. We've got to do that because otherwise, uh, you know, we're in for a disaster. The CBO, you know, projects again, you know, $2 trillion deficits every year for the next 10 years. Totally unsustainable.
3: No, it certainly is. And then last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman, did it kind of raise any red flags for you this week or or draw some concern about the statements that were made by Homeland Security Committee uh, Chair Mark Green when, he was talking about you know some information that was coming down the pike regarding national security in Russia. We've seen a couple congressmen over the course of the last 72 hours uh, go on to the news and say, this is going to take every facet of our government from Congress to the military and everything in between. And, you know, it, it comes at such a critical time. I think House Republicans did a good job with the supplemental foreign aid package this week, kind of putting it up on the same pedestal and allowing it to collect dust, much like Chuck Schumer has done with HR2 in the Senate. And You know, it seems like within 48 hours of of Speaker Johnson saying, we're just not going to hear votes on that right now. And then we're going to be in district for a little while after that to have this big, I guess, developing story on something potentially having to do with national security and Russia come down the pike.
7: Well, yeah, it it wasn't Mr. Green. It actually was Mr. Turner from the Intelligence Committee, which is actually a little more worrisome uh, that, uh, you know, we're still waiting to see what some of this information is. Uh, We're told that it's actually – Uh, just not that urgent, Uh, and we begin to wonder whether or not, again, the Chair of Intelligence, who has a different opinion on warrantless searches, you know, brings something up like this the week that we... We just think it's too coincidental with our FISA, uh, so we're going to have to let this cool down, and again, come back, and I think the Americans will understand... For FISA, we need warrantless searches eliminated. That's it. You can't do it on Americans. We, we have to put our foot down about it. And again, the intelligence community, including the Intelligence Committee, a lot of people on the Intelligence Committee disagree with
3: that. I'm sorry. Plain reading of the Fourth Amendment. Oh, So you can't make it any crystal clearer than that, Congressman. We're going to leave it at that heading into the weekend. We're going to thank you for stopping by our show. We always appreciate when we get to sit down and catch up with you. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you and check you out, where can they do that? uh harris.house.gov simple as that and we'll live link your x account as well this is the congressman who's representing maryland's first congressional district dr andy harris thanks for joining us today and have a great weekend thank you guys we're coming back with another all new edition of the state for breakfast podcast so sit back relax and let us change the way you consume your news